Well, good afternoon, Lake Norman, and welcome to Town Talk. We're coming to you live from WSIC, the Real Talk Studio, nestled on the banks of beautiful Lake Norman, streaming worldwide from London, England, to Charlestown, South Carolina. I'm your host, Bill Russell, President of Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce, the largest chamber of commerce in the Charlotte region. My guest today is Dan Boone. He is with the Old Huntersville Historic Society, Sarah Sue Hardinger, who is the president of Mecklenburg Historical Association, and Paulette Gardner. She is the co-founder of Lincoln Hearth Cooks. My producer, Bill Blakely, is in the other room. Uh, Bill, every morning you you sit there and you stound me, you go back and forth and banter with Justin Kazepis on, on the word of the day. Oh boy. The word of the day. So today, <laughs> is your word of the day. Oh, no. Do you know what a wok is? W-O-K. A wok? A wok. What is a wok? Oh, um, no, I think I do. Wait. Uh, you cook with it. No? Cook with it? Like a, no. like a, like a wok? No. It's, <laughs> I'm about to say something wrong here. <laughs> it's, it's, a wok is what you throw at the pes- pesky wabbit oh, when God. you don't have your wifle. <laughs> That's touche. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> oh, very okay. good. Very okay, good. Okay, so Bill, have you been naughty or nice? Oh, I'm I'm nice. Not, I think you've been you've been naughty. on my list. Yes. So no coal in your stocking. No, I hope not. Uh, I hope I, not. I will tell you this uh, as a practical joke. One time, um, my wife, I, I gave her a little box of coal, and I thought that would be funny. Uh, hence the reason she's the ex-wife. <laughs> so you, you haven't been married, have you, Bill? No, no, no. A bit of advice. Don't give your, right. your wife uh, right. coal. As a, as a... I, hope, I hope our uh, station owner, Justin, is listening right now because he needs that advice as well. <laughs> yeah, I thought that would be really, really funny. But I tell you, today we're going to step back in time and we're going to talk about the colonial Christmas. And uh, what would the people who settled in North Mecklenburg, Iredell, uh, wh- how would they have celebrated Christmas? And we've got Sarah Sue Hardinger here. But before we get into that, Sarah Sue, um, you're president of the Mecklenburg Historical Association. You've been a member of the board of directors of the Utahans House of Store. You've been daughters of the American Revolution. So you wear so many different hats. Tell me, though, what is, for people who don't know, what is the Mecklenburg Historical Association? What is it you do? The Mecklenburg Historical Association is a a group of several hundred people who are interested in maintaining and preserving and teaching people about the history of this county. They've been in existence for over 75 years. They've sort of come and gone in their strengths, but they've been founders of a number of things that people know about now, like the MECDEC Society came out of the MHA, Voices from the Past came out of MHA. We still maintain a newsletter, and if you happen to get the monthly calendar of all the goings-on of history around the Charlotte area, that comes from us, too. And, and how many historical properties do we have in Mecklenburg County that you guys oversee? Oh, that we oversee? There's really only one. Torrance okay. House and Store is the only one that we have the rights to oversee. Mm-hmm. But we have people who are very involved in every major historical site that's open, and I believe there's about six of them now that are open for tours. And, and how did you get into being the, the president of the Historical Association? <laughs> I didn't say no once. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Linda Dalton had been president for many, many years, and, and she's well known around here. And for the last several years, I've been telling her that she probably ought to do something else. And she said, then you have to do it. And I said, no, 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 no. Well, finally, I found somebody at Torrance House and Store that would take over my role there. And that gave me some time to take on this. Daughters of the American Revolution, I, I know what they are, and, and oftentimes you'll see signage uh, that might be erected uh, talking about a either some historical figures or historical properties, and it might have Daughters of the American Revolution. But, but for those who might be unfamiliar, what does DAR do? The Daughters of the American Revolution is a group that goes back for about 150 years now, I believe. Um, it started on the East Coast, but it's, it's, this, it's exactly what it says. It is the women who are the descendants of people who were patriots during the Revolution, and they wish to maintain the, the visibility of those people and what they did and what we did to make this country be a country. And so part of that is to mark the places where that happened, and we have quite a few of them here in the county and around Iredale and Lincoln County. And we have, oh, what the hear? There's 300 DAR chapters in North Carolina alone. And um, so they have, they're very, very busy ladies who maintain cemeteries, help out with marking graves, help out with marking locations that are important to remember about the revolution. And help with the restoration also. 
Mm -hmm. those grapes. You're You're celebrating your 250th anniversary Mm -hmm. next year? Of the DAR? Yes. I think it's a little younger than that, but we're going to be very prominent in the celebration of the country's 50th. Gotcha. And Sarah Sue, um, you're on the board of directors of the Utahns House and Store. Um, I'm also on the board, and and I'm the chair of the Utahns House and Store because I, too, didn't say no one time. Uh, In 2006, Dan, they asked me, uh, Linda Dalton, again, somebody we know very well, asked me if I would be chair of the store uh, in in 2006. She would do it the next year in 2007, and and 2007 passed in 2008, 9, 10. And when I brought that back up, she said, well, I'm the president of the Mecklenburg Historical Association. You want to switch? Uh, I'm like, no, I don't don't want to switch. But for people unfamiliar with the Utahns House and Store, uh, you tell them what it is. Oh, it's the best kept secret in Huntersville. It's a 240-year-old property owned by the same family for those 240 years, the Torrances. Uh, it is two homes. It is one built in se- somewhere in the 1770s that was bought by the Torrances in 1779, and the companion house next door was built in 1834. You probably noticed that one more. It's the big brick pre-colonial house that you get on the bend there at Gilead Road, just about, about a mile west of the hospital, uh-huh. but you miss the little white frame house next to it, which is the older one from 1770, and that's really the Hugh Torrance house in the store. It, uh, it was the residence of Torrance, uh, Hugh Torrance. He has a son named James. It became his residence. He married a Davidson, um, a Latta, and uh, an Allison, and therefore is related to everyone in the county. And then along the way, he put a store in there, a small store that uh, operated from 1805 to 1825, and the store is still there. So as far as we know, it's the longest standing store in North Carolina. Sarah Sue, when I was on the board from, from 1997 up until about three years ago, um, we were open, I think, the first and third Sundays at 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And really, really, we did a spring cleaning in April. We opened up, I think, in May. We ran, I think, until September. That was really the only times it was open you could call for a special tour, but then you came on board uh, and you began get, began introducing new programs uh, that we began doing out there on a, on a monthly basis, expanded hours. Talk about some of the things that you brought to the Utahns House of Store just over your tenure. Well, if there is such a thing, the blessing of COVID is that I had two years with nothing that I could do <laughs> where you could touch it anybody else. And so my dog and I went to here at the Hugh Torrance House and Store, and we, we converted the whole thing. Accidentally, at the same time, other things were happening that let us inherit a great many furnishings that we didn't have before. And at the same time, I had time to read the entire inventory that had been in the store and start collecting one example of everything that had been in that store when it was first opened. So between the additional furniture, the soft goods, and making it more of a living history place. It now is open every Sunday from uh, 1 to 4. And I say that just at the time when we're closing. We do close during January and February because it's just too hard to keep the house comfortable for people because it's not insulated. So we open again on uh, February the 18th. Uh, that's Sunday from 1 to 4 until next Christmas. We're going to talk about some of the programs of U-Turns and some of the other things that we're doing when we come back from break. Um, we've got uh, also we're going to be talking about our colonial Christmas as again, as we come up on Christmas ourselves, what did some of the early colonial folks do? So for those of you who are listening to me, uh, to us on WSIC, please come back after the break and we're going to talk about our colonial Christmas and step back in time. For those of you who are watching us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on uh, Twitter, no, X now, I I still can't do that, X, uh, on all of the various streaming platforms, uh, Apple Play, I understand, Uh, there's there's other podcast things as well, but uh, thank you for staying with us. Normally during this time, I talk about some of the Chamber of Commerce programs, and we are now officially winding down. Dan, we had a meeting uh, we had a function uh, about a week ago where Rod Beard stood up and said, the chamber is, is slowed down. I'm like, wait a minute, we got like five events this week. And uh, we did have a fantastic event last night. We had a business after hours at Ardmore at Brighton Apartments uh, right there in Huntersville. Really nice apartment complex. We also last week had the 15th anniversary of the Homewood Suites by Hilton and Davidson. So congratulations to the Homewood Suites. And then uh, our huge networking event just a couple of weeks ago at the 
the Macintosh Law Firm. Uh, we had Macintosh Law Firm, Bookman Bright Retirement, and Brickhouse Tavern that put together the Business After Hours. And I, I, I think there was 200 people there networking. Um, Dan, you've been a huge proponent of business during your eight, eight years on the board of directors for the town of Huntersville. Served on my board, I think, a couple of terms. Um, again, big proponent. Why is why do you think networking is so important to small businesses? Uh, good question, Bill. I think it's best that the business owners they they are trying to get their message and their product and what they're trying to do out to other people and to develop their business and to bring more customers and traffic into their stores. And I'm a firm believer that small business is the incubator of employment in the Huntersville area. So I'm a big fan of small businesses and networking throughout the community is the lifeblood of those uh, folks. You have been, you you have really been a, a, a big proponent of getting behind businesses and assisting businesses. Um, for someone who's not a member of the Chamber of Commerce, whether they're in Statesville, Mooresville, it doesn't matter, uh, Lincoln County, Lake Norman, why should they get involved with the Chamber of Commerce from your perspective? Well, I think that that brings them into the community, but joining, just joining the Chamber doesn't mean that that's going to help your business. You've got to work at it yourself. You've got to go out and do the mixers and go to the the uh, the, the ribbon cuttings uh -huh. and the Bob McIntosh's uh, uh Events. I mean, that's one of the best events in North Mecklenburg County throughout the entire year. Well, we certainly appreciate your support of small business and support of the Chamber of Commerce. The days are streaming. We're going live on WSIC in just five seconds. And we're back on Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. My guest today is Dan Boone. He's with the old Huntersville Historic Society. Sarah Sue Hardinger, she is the president of Mecklenburg Historical Association, and Paulette Garter, she's the co-founder of Lincoln Hearth Cooks. Uh, just before we went to break, we were talking about some of the things that U-Tarnas House Store is doing. Is there some upcoming programs in, in latter part of December or January we're doing over at the store? No, the store's going to be down uh, because it's too cold to keep the store open since it's an uninsulated building. Um but there will be some things at the house next door, Cedar Grove. Uh -huh. So if you go on our website, which is ut.org, we made it as simple as possible. Um, you'll see what's going on in January and February at Cedar Grove. And then February 18th, we're open again on our regular hours. That's great. Sarah, so with Christmas just around the corner and your experience with U-Torrents, how can, how, tell me about the residents of the Carolina backcountry and how they celebrated this time of year 200, 250 years ago. Well, that really depends on which group of people we're talking about. Uh -huh. The North Carolina backcountry was populated by a number of people. The uh, Sort of in the ascending order, there were some people that came here from uh, Germany. Some were Catholic, some were Lutheran. The Catholics were the smallest part, and they would sort of keep to themselves, and they wanted a church service. We didn't have any priests in the, in the whole state, and so they would probably just get together with friends and maybe sing the hymns they remember from old churches and things like that. Feasting was always big with them, and they did give gifts uh, to each other. The gifting does come from that. Uh, the Lutherans, however, they also were very musical, but they um, they actually had a pastor in the church here. There was a church at Mount Pleasant as early as 1743. Did you know that? Uh -uh. Yep, there was, and they had a pastor 40 years later in 1783. So the Lutherans are well-established here in, in the Catawba County, which was Mecklenburg then. Um and so they would do singing, and they would do church services, and then they loved their food. Um, and they also gave gifts, small gifts usually. Um, so that's a, a little different thing. Now, the biggest group was the Scots-Irish. They were Presbyterians, some of them very dour, some of them not so dour. The dour ones did nothing. <laughs> they just ignored Christmas. The not-so-dowered ones, they would get into whatever they had run into. Now, most of these people emigrated here through Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. Almost everybody came through Philadelphia at that point. A few came from the South region through Charleston, might have seen something down the islands, a little French influence maybe, but mostly it was through Pennsylvania. So they saw all the German stuff in Pennsylvania. And when they got down here, then they would have had, they would have seen Christmas trees, though it wasn't their tradition. So if they were not so dour, they might have brought some tree in their house or the other, but they almost everybody put greenery in their house. And that was just to remind them that spring was there, we're going to come back. Oh, yeah. It's in the dark, yeah. dark tides of winter, besides which it smells really good mm -hmm. to have those wonderful greeneries in your house at that time of year. Um, they love friends, so they would do family and uh, 
equal social status people during the time. So like the Torrances would have invited the Davidsons or they would have invited people of that category to come over and visit or go there or, or have the holiday with them. They always go to church and that there was no singing in church to speak of. There was only six congregational hymns allowed at that point. I thought that was an interesting statistic. Um, anyway, then they would uh, they would get through Christmas like that and they were sort of separated at Christmas. Yeah. So you you talked about we were populated the early founders they were from the Scotch the the Irish obviously the English Germans mm -hmm. what other countries would have really populated the North Mecklenburg the Mecklenburg County and Iredell County what what kind of demographics would we have seen here if anybody was here from one of, besides those places it would have been a rare thing mm -hmm. and they would have been well noted if they were a Frenchman here or if there was a Portugal person here or something a Spaniard here they would have been known by everybody it was pretty much those groups it was Britons and Germans, that's who was here. Some were Moravians, some were Lutherans, but there were Germans. Um, the three of us, uh, Dan, yourself, and myself, were on the board of the, uh, the Utarns House and Store. How would the Torrance family have celebrated Christmas? As near as we can tell from the records, they were definitely Presbyterians. James the Son was actually the treasurer of Hopewell Church for almost 30 years. Um, so very Presbyterian, but Hopewell Presbyterian, which is, I understand, not as strict as some of the others were. Um, that's conjecture on some people's part because there's not a whole lot of records to that. But we kind of went with that and the fact that James's wife's mother was, no, excuse me, his mother's mother was from Virginia and therefore very English. Um, so between those two things, we think they probably were not the most strict of the Presbyterians. So at Hugh Torrance over December, we did three things. On the first Sunday, we decorated the whole house with greenery. Uh, indoor and out. There, they were, window swags outside was very common for everybody. We put some things on the doors this year. That was conjecture on our part and brought some inside the house. On the second weekend, we did little gifts for the children to make. In this case, we did useful things like pine cones to feed the birds. Uh, and we did the traditional oranges with cloves in them. That would have been a rare treat back then, an orange with cloves in it. Um, and then on the third weekend, we had a huge feast cooked, and we wanted to cook it outdoors, but guess what Sunday that was? The raining Sunday. Oh, my. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so it had to be cooked someplace else and brought in, but we brought in the appropriate things, which at that point was ham and sweet potatoes and yams and chocolate pudding, believe it or not, and, um, and other good things that we had brought in. So um, I have a Christmas tree in, in my house, but I, I suspect... The Christmas tree wasn't in the Tarns house. And I think it was Christmas trees, a German thing? Mm -hmm. Very, very German. Oh, Tannenbaum, that's Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. um, old tree. And um, I don't know where that came from. There's there's myths about that it was Martin Luther that started that, saw stars in the sky one night well, above the trees and thought he'd bring it in and put candles on it to simulate the stars. But they say that's a myth now. I don't know. I like it, though. Uh, the, the, the candles is the simulating of stars for sure. That's And they made these little tiny candles they put in holders to put on the tree. That did come from the German side. I still do that at my house with my German heritage. Uh, and we have a Moravian tree at the Hugh Torrance house because the girls went to Salem, one of the girls went to Salem Academy. So they would have known something about the Moravian traditions, too. Would there have been candles in the windows like we have? We put them in this year. We haven't up until this year because I couldn't find any documentation of it. But we had more people helping this year and somebody wanted to do candles. So you don't say no to volunteers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like many of those national religious groups you just talked about pretty much kept to themselves during the holidays. Yeah, I think that was sort of isolated in the during Christmas time, but come New Year's Day. Now, that's a whole other thing. Oh, how they celebrate New Year's Day. Well, to the Scots-Irish, that's Hogmanay, right? I think I said that right. Um, that is a huge celebration. That is a y'all come celebration. Oh. <laughs> um, they still do it at Rural Hill. It's called First Fruiting at First Rural Hill. And that'll happen on January 1st uh, in the morning, probably about 9, 10 o'clock. People will start. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you walk around your property and you're making sure that everything's okay, including nobody's moved to boundary markers, which happened a lot. Mm -hmm. So you make sure they go back where they should be. And then you come back and you have a huge feast. And that feast is not just for your social class. It could be for anybody that's on your property, anybody that helps you, anybody that works for you. It's just a big, we did good. We're going to start the year off all together and have a great party. Mm -hmm. Paulette, you're the co-founder of Lincoln Hearth Cooks. And you're based in the Reinhardt Cabin at the site of the Battle of Ramsher's Mill in Lincolnton. Oh. For those of you who don't know, what was the significance of Ramsher's Mill? It, well, it, it actually was a mill, and, and the significance of it 
was that the mill that was there, the, there's the Reinhardt cabin, and then the mill itself was across the river. And during the, um, or during another event, when which, which we will celebrate in January called Burning of the Baggage, the, thank you, <laughs> the, um, the owner of the mill was actually held captive by the British and forced to mill their wheat, the wheat that they were carrying with them, oh, wow. to make bread for the British, the British soldiers. And so that's where the significance of the mill itself came from. So, uh, but the, the Reinhardt family, which was rather large, um, were, they were the millers. They, they were actually the, the millers. And uh, when, when uh, the battle actually happened at Ramsur's Mill, it gained significance because they were on their way to Guilford Courthouse. Mm-hmm. So basically it, it was, it was a, a battle that was on the way, you know, on, the, on that route. And for and for those of you who are watching us on video, Paulette is dressed in her colonial garb. <laughs> I wish everybody could see it. Uh, for those of you on radio and you can't see it, but uh, you, you're you're looking really festive today. Well, thank you. This is actually that's just actually the the out, uh, they call it a costume, but it's actually the outfit that the backcountry housewife would have worn. Mm-hmm. There are more you know more elaborate clothes that she would have worn for special occasions, but this would be her everyday wear where she was cooking at home, cooking for her family. And Sarah Sue, uh, that battle has significance to, to us because of you and Isabella. You want to share a yeah. little bit about that before we get a break? Sure. Uh, Hugh Torrance fought at Ormsters Mill with a man named Galbraith Falls, who was his captain. Galbraith Falls was killed. If you go to Ramsters Mill, you'll find a monument just to Galbraith Falls. Um, we think that Hugh then took care of the family for the next few years. He must have taken good care because he ended up marrying Galbraith's wife, Isabella. Uh-huh. And Isabella already had children. Eight children, own. and they had Eight. one together. Yes. Eight children, and they brought back six to Huntersville, right? Uh, we did some more research in the last few years, and we think some of those people had already been married. So there's really three we think they brought back of the girls, an 11, 10, and 7-year-old, and then baby James at three. Okay. Um, and we talked about Cedar Grove. It just, just touched on it uh, because there's some events coming up there. Share a little bit about the history of Cedar Grove, how that came about. That is also the Torrance family home. Uh, They had a small place up there starting in the late 1790s uh, that they lived in for about 20 years, about half the size of the brick house now. When James got married uh, by his third wife, they had a huge cotton plantation. They had lots of money. They wanted a more prestigious house. They tore down the old brick house and built a new brick house. Took them three years to do that. During those three years, they and we think it's about six children moved back over to the little tiny house, the wooden house, to live for three years. One child was born there, and then they moved back over to the big house uh, in 1834. Yeah, and Cedar Grove is the big brick house that's beside U-Torrance House's store. I can't tell you how many times, Paulette, people would call me up at the Chamber of Commerce, and they would say, hey, we want to tour the U-Torrance House and store. And so I would get there and I'd unlock the gate and I'd be sitting at the store and looking at my watch and wondering where they are, where and where they are. Then I happen to look up and there's a car up there at Cedar Grove. <laughs> and up until a few years ago, that was a private residence yes. that uh, Torrance Banks. Yes. Three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about, Paulette, your your history for passion that you've had and, and what is Lincoln Hearth Cooks, and maybe mm-hmm. some of the things that they would have eaten there uh, at the, in the, during the colonial times. Mm-hmm. For some of you who are listening to us on WSIC, uh, come back and listen to us after the break, and we're going to talk about the colonial Christmas and what they might have eaten. Stay with us on Town Talk. For those of you who are streaming on all of our platforms, uh, again, I want to thank you for your support of the Chamber of Commerce this year. We're going to be having uh, a function coming up in January, a professional development seminar, January 18th, goal-setting seminar with David Dowdy with Action Cope. Most most folks might have already planned what are their goals for 2024, but some people might have procrastinated and not quite got there. So on January 18th, 3 o'clock to 4.30 at the Randy Marion Boardroom inside the Chamber of Commerce, we have David Dowdy, and he's going to be talking about goal setting for 2024. So you go to our website and find out more about that. Paulette, what is one of your favorite Christmas memories, maybe with your family or something that you've done that just always oh. re- you remember and reflect on? Well, I am a fourth-generation Moravian, 
And oh. I grew up in Sal- in Winston Salem, and uh, spent a lot of time in Salem. Went to Salem College, and uh, but just just the Christmas, the whole Christmas experience. You know, making the cookies with my grandmother, and oh, yeah. making the sugar cake with with her, and and then the whole family getting together on Christmas Eve to go to Christmas Eve love feast, and and the the history of Winston Salem is so rich and played a big part in this whole area, because so many young women who lived in this area went to Salem Salem Academy sure. or Salem Girls School at that time. And it was just the traditions that started so long ago, you know, back, you know, in, in 17, the early 1700s have, have carried forward, you know, to this day. And, you know, but they're not as prominent as they were in, in you know, back in the 60s and 70s, but they're still there. They're still, in fact, there, there are two new Moravian churches in the area, the New Beginnings Moravian Church here in Huntersville, and then the uh, New Hope Moravian Church in Newton. So those 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 traditions are being carried forward, and I would love to see you know one more a little bit further west, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Dan, do you have a favorite Christmas memory? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. I, um, growing up in a military family, Santa Claus doesn't always come on Christmas Eve. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Might come two days later when your dad is. Uh, back home Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where I remember bubble lights and uh, decorating the tree Mm -hmm. and then the second story that I have is when I had my children I think Christmas is all about children and Mattel doesn't make anything that I can't fix Christmas Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Well those of you streaming are going back live on WSIC in about 10 seconds thank you for staying with us on all of our social platforms we're going back live in just about five seconds. Welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. Today I have Dan Boone. He is with the old Huntersville Historic Society, Sarah Sue Hardinger, President of Mecklenburg Historical Association, Paulette Garner, co-founder of Lincoln Hearth Cooks. And we were just talking about Cedar Grove and the Utarns House and Store. And I understand Bill, uh, our producer, has Abigail Jennings on the line who recently purchased those properties. Uh, we, we still are the stewards of the Utarns House and Store, but we have Abigail. Abigail, thank you for joining us. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Abigail, what are some of the things that you've brought uh, on board with the with the programming, and and explain what Hearts is, and some of the things that you introduced over the last couple of years to U Torrance House Store in Cedar Grove? I'm sure. Well, Hearts was uh, a name that we came up with after dreaming up what we wanted to bring to the community uh, at these historic sites. Um, we wanted to kind of look at things a little differently and honor the history of the land for, through all time. Um, so that, that land was there before Hugh Torrance was there and um, before any humans were there. Uh, and so we wanted to really take the, the, all connections through history and time um, to that family. And so that was the H of heart. We also wanted to recognize the nature of the site. Um, our, our nature around us is disappearing as, as we have more newcomers and newcomers want to know, you know, what are these plants that are growing around us? And there's so many interesting facts about those plants that, um, that our early pioneers knew about and our, our Native Americans knew about. And even some of the enslaved people had their, um, their plants that they used on a daily basis. So it, nature was really important. That's the E. Um, H-E-A is the arts. So the arts are something that we try to incorporate into our programming too because that brings another element to to bring to our community. And so through visual arts or live music, um, poetry, uh, dance, whatever um, the arts may be, we try to incorporate them. The R is for reunion. So one of the other ideas we had when we were dreaming all this up was wouldn't it be great to try to help people trace their genealogy? Um, and that is open to everyone. But and most importantly, we wanted to try to help any um, of the descendants of the enslaved people reconnect to their roots as well. And so we do have what we call the reunion program. And we are there to, to help anybody that would like to learn more about their, their history in the area. Um, then we have tea for trails. Uh, because when all this was starting, we did not realize all the things that Mecklenburg Parks uh, had in store nearby us, but we thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat if we could be close to the Greenway? Well, little did we know we are right beside the Greenway and the Carolina uh, Thread Trail and 
lots of trails right around us. And so tapping into those trails so that um, people can walk, you know, if they're not too far away, walk from their house on a trail to come and visit the site someday. We're, we're not all there yet. Um, and then the, the most important, truly the heart of it all is the store that you all have been talking about. And so that is the S of hearts is the store. Um, and so we've been bringing lots of different um, programs. Uh, we, we take one historical element and then we kind of build on it. And it was fun to hear um, Paulette just talking about the mills because that's our next program. Um, so there was a Torrance mill. So it is not currently on the property. It is also on pri private property now. Um, but we do a little field trip in January. So we're not actually in either of the buildings, um, but this is a free community event. Um, it is not online yet. Um, hopefully over the winter holidays, I will be getting some of our 2024 events up there. Um, but we do have a mill specialist. His name is Chuck Ketchy, and he is just a fascinating man and knows everything about mills. He's actually president of the National Mill Association. And so we're going to take a little field trip. We have transportation and go over to the mill ruins. And we will have, as always, we'll have some music over there and, and some um, fun time and just great information. So um, one little fact I learned last year that was it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, we see these roads everywhere that say mill on them. Uh, and, and the mills back then were really everywhere. Um, you know, before they had transportation, people didn't really want to go more than three or right. four miles to get what they needed <clears throat> to get done. So the mills were just scattered over our community um, in more places than we know. So trying to find some of those ruins and the ones that exist, um, are, are going to be a continuing um, thing that we're going to look into. So, but that one is coming up. That is January 27th is that event. Um, so we hope people can come out to see us uh, for that. It's called Milling Around. Abigail, we now have memberships uh, with the Utah South Store yes. of Hearts. Uh, if somebody wanted to get involved, uh, be a member of Hearts, or wanted to sponsor an event, uh, can you share the website that they would go to? Absolutely. Uh, seriously, we made it simple. We shortened it a lot. So it's just Hugh, H-U-G-H-T dot org, Hugh T dot org. There's a button there called for join. And we do encourage people to join hearts. This is how we are going to be able to grow and do more uh, historic preservation, more connections and more sharing uh, for all of our upcoming events. So we, we really, if, if people care and look around them and, and are watch as we're watching a lot of our historical places disappear join hearts so we can at least try to document and share what we um, are seeing out there and preserve more too so that's something yeah. we want to do as well abigail i know we pulled you away from a school event so thank you sarah very much for joining and sharing today and, and i you really so appreciate welcome. what you've done with with cedar grove and utarns thank you so much bill and i do want to just give a shout out to to your guests today and all of our our incredible docents and volunteers that we have. Um, without them, we couldn't do what we do. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Abigail. All right. Have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. You bye too. Bye. Paulette, I want to get back to the food. And, and uh, what what is Lincoln Hearth Cooks? Well, we're just a group of ladies who love to cook on the fireplace <laughs> <laughs> or, or at an outdoor at an outdoor fire. And we go to to not just not just the uh, the Ramsers Mill site, which is a beautiful little cabin with a great hearth, but but other sites as well to to demonstrate what we love doing and, and hopefully keep keep the uh, keep the craft alive. You know, this is right. something that we really, really love to teach. In fact, two of the ladies that that cook with me now were my students back several years ago. We had a a series of, of hearth cooking classes that uh, that brought in uh, about ten ladies who just they really got into it, you know, let's get it, let's build a fire, let's, you know, cook on the fireplace. A lot of, you know, most of them had done grilling outside or they had, you know, done s'mores over a fire, but no one had actually done a complete meal over an open fire. And it was amazing to see how these ladies just bloomed, you know, with enthusiasm for using cast iron, you know, and it's like, it's it's amazing. It really is. I've done it. I've done it before. Yeah. When I was a reenactor, a lot yeah. of the times I was the cook and yeah. until my doctor said, go away from the fire. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
in our last segment, I was asking you, you know, your Christmas memories. My my Christmas memories was always going to my, my grandparents, you know, first to the Themesters and then to the Russells. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Christmas dinner is at, at Bill's house. And uh, my my Christmas fair is I stopped by Honey Baked Ham today, got my ham, got my turkey. <laughs> I'll have dressing and, and macaroni. Some people call it macaroni cheese. I, I call it macaroni pie. That's what we always called it. Yeah. Dressing. Um, some people do stuffing, but we do dressing, corn, uh-huh. green beans. Uh-huh. What would have a traditional Christmas, though, for, say, the Hugh Tarns family, what would they have eaten on Christmas? It would have been what would have been a, what was available. Okay. You know, if they had animals on the farm, hopefully they did. Hopefully they had pigs and chickens and, and maybe a, maybe an extra cow or two. You know, they would have, have, have had their, that would have been their meat. You know, they they could have had a ham. They could have had a turkey. Wild turkeys were very prominent right. in the area. Mm-hmm. So they could have had a wild turkey or maybe even, maybe even some venison. If, if one of the members of the, of the, of, if one of the men, the hunters, if they had been able to, to get a deer and dress that out and, and have some, some venison. As far as the vegetables went, it was like, what was in the garden? Mm-hmm. What had they preserved? What had, had they kept kept by? You know, uh, fortunately, a lot of, of uh, the history of, of foodways, the historic foodways, they have discovered that uh, f- families who had small farms, if there was a creek, or a small stream, or uh-huh. or a river, you know, close by, they would actually divert. They would create a canal and divert some of that wa- that running water and create their their um, their house garden. They had well, well, the greenhouse garden, yes, but but their uh, their coal cellar where they mm-hmm. would have cold water. They would they would build this little house mm-hmm. over this diverted stream, right? And they would put rocks in the bottom of it, and that would have been their coal. That was where they would have been able to preserve any of their dairy products or any of their root vegetables and what have you. And and that's how they kept that's how they kept their fresh food their food fresh. So, Paulet, would a would a Christmas dinner be different than an ordinary dinner? Or, I mean, you're just just another day. It was a, it was a celebration. I mean, they would have pulled anything anything and everything that they could, you know, together to make it extra special, you know, for the family. Um, fruits, any kind of fruit that they could have, have preserved. You know, if they had kept apples, especially apples were very very prominent, and if if they were able to, um, Mr. Latta was a, a um, he was a traveling merchant, so to speak. Right. And he would go to Charleston and the lady of the house would place an order. Basically, if you can get me some lemons, if you can get me some fruit, if you can get some citrus fruit, all of the citrus fruit in that, in that time period came from Spain. Mm-hmm. Folks don't know that, you know, Florida didn't grow fruit until, you know, probably in the, in the late 1800s. Most of it came from Spain. So if they were able to get fruit off of a boat that came into Charleston or or down from Baltimore or or um, where's the other port? It's it's left me. But Baltimore and Charleston were the were the main ports where they would have gotten gotten fresh vegetables and fruit from that came from from um, England and Spain. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it basically it was whatever was available. We had a conversation about this uh, this last Sunday too, mm-hmm. and that the men liked to have either greens or root vegetables. Yes, they yes. didn't like anything fluffy. They no, wanted root no. vegetables and greens. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we're going to go to a break uh, for some sponsor information, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Dan Boone about what the historical society's been up to. So, Dan, uh, we're going to hear from you. So, stay with us on Town Talk. Sarah Sue, when we went to uh, before we went to break last time, we were talking about uh, Christmas memories. Uh, what what is the the Christmas memory that really stands out for you? Well, it's something I did. Huh? Talking about Santa Clauses. Santa Claus hadn't come to my house in a long time, and I was sixteen years old, and but I didn't get to go out late very often. I didn't even have a key to my house till I was twenty one. Uh, my mom was kind of strict, but I got to go up to. Uh, the Benedictine Abbey with my cousin, who was a Benedictine monk, to listen to the monks sing on Christmas Eve. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, we could only take one guest a year, and I got to go this year. Well, I knew I was going to be gone, so I made Christmas stoppings for everybody in the house and got presents for everybody in the house and put up a rod by the fireplace. And when I got home after everybody was asleep that night, Santa Claus came for the first time in years and years. Hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Wow. You know, one of my Christmas memories that stick out was uh, when I was five years old, uh, my grandmother, Feimster, gave me a stuffed monkey. And uh, Jim Jr., I think he got a car. And I can't remember what Kim got, but she got something. And I was going, well, their gifts are, I don't really want the stuffed monkey. And I was in there whining and crying and pitching a fit. And my grandfather, Feimster, um, grabbed the monkey. I'll never forget that. Well, I, I still I still remember some of these images. My grandfather got the monkey, opened up the screen door, and kicked the monkey out into the front yard. And I went out there and got that monkey, and I brought it back inside. And I didn't turn that monkey loose. <laughs> and I slept with that monkey every weekend, and then they put it up. And later we found out my brother would sleep with the monkey and found out that he had a cotton allergy. So they put it up in the attic. And uh, when I was like 25, my grandmother found that stuffed monkey up in the attic and brought it back down. And uh, I still have that stuffed monkey. It's one of the few toys I have left, cool. but uh, it's out of the farm. So cool. stuffed monkey. <laughs> for those of you who are streaming with us, uh, we'll be going live back on WSIC for the final segment. We're going to go back to Dan Boone and, and uh, talk about what is the old Huntersville Historic Society. So, uh, Dan, you're up next, and we're looking forward to hearing from that. All right. Thank you for streaming with us. And welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. I am with Paulette Gardner. She is the co-founder of Lincoln Hearth Cooks. Sarah Sue Hardinger, she's the president of Mecklenburg Historical Association. And Dan Boone is who was with Old Huntersville Historic Society. And Dan, what is the Old Huntersville Historic Society? It's a group of citizens uh, that live in or around Huntersville. Uh, we've been in business for right at 10 years now. And it was started by a mayor of Huntersville, Jill Swain, uh -huh. got a group of people together. And the first meeting I went to, it was a standing room only. And uh, it kind of weeded a few people in and out. And we, our mission is to preserve the history of North Mecklenburg County to teach and educate the people that have lived here or are moving here. And over the 10 years, we've had several projects one that we started out with was the name Alexandria Anna uh -huh. on all the streets in Huntersville was misspelled. And our first project was to change those signs out. And from there, uh, we wanted to preserve the old jail, the oldest building in Huntersville. The, the roof was caving in, but the town board of Huntersville said, well, let's see what you can do with the old library, what they call the Arts and Science Building now. And we went in there and we had to clean it up, paint it, the inside and the out, outside, and we only had four days to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got started, uh, one of the first things we learned is that all the buildings that are in Huntersville, the inside are all painted the same color. Well, it would have been nice if they had told us that at the beginning. But uh, Bill Walsh, you know Bill, uh -huh. uh, he was probably the contractor and, and the, the force behind it. And we did everything from striping the uh, parking lot and putting in handicapped parking and just cleaned the whole building up there. But And the town really enjoyed that. They thought we did a pretty good job. And then we got a chance at the old jail. And uh, we, we got some... Uh, people that knew what they were doing, and it was going to be about $12,000 to cocoon the building to keep it dry uh -huh. so we could raise some funds and, and kind of preserve it without it getting uh, more deterioration in it. But uh, working with Stuart Gray and the people from Mecklenburg County, uh, we accomplished that goal. It took us about three years. We paid all the money back that we borrowed. And if you go in there now, it's open anytime that there's a, an event at Veterans Park, is that uh, it's set up to uh, like the 1930s. And if you've never been in that, I would suggest you do it. It's, it's an outstanding uh, preservation of the history of Huntersville. And one of the things that I'm proud, of, uh, proud about is uh, the caboose. Everybody kind of remembers the caboose, that the town wanted to sell the caboose. And the caboose is now a, a part of the veterans' uh -huh. stage. And that's kind of like a, a landmark where you say, hey, I'll meet you at the caboose, and everybody knows where that's at. But when you look at the stage, it says Ice House Stage. And if you moved to Huntersville in the last three to five years, you think a beer company <laughs> sponsored that. But it really it was from a building that was had to be torn down to build the new veterans' 
Memorial, and it was called the, the Ice House. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, if you're looking at the stage, it was just off to the right. And uh, people uh, in the 20s and 30s that come there to get their ice, kind of like they keeping their, their vegetables That's cool. And they would come there and, and not only get their ice, but they would talk about politics and the weather and the crops and mm -hmm. what's going on. And uh, if you look at it, that's the ice house stage. That's the the rest of the story on it. But uh, we've uh, we the last two years we've been working on a walking app, a historic walking app that you can put on your phone, and it's about a, everything uh, a mile radius of of downtown Huntersville. If you go to town hall, about a uh, uh, mile in any directions, there's about seventeen or eighteen historic uh, sites there, and you pull this up on your app, and there would be some a brief history of what you're looking at, and then there'd be a little quiz at the end, and it, you know it kind of grades you as you go along there. And what we're going to be doing the uh, in the beginning of 2024, you're talking about setting goals at one uh -huh. of your chamber events. Right. One of our goals is we're going to give away a a college historic scholarship to somebody going to a college that's going to uh, major in history. And then the last thing that we're planning on doing, and, and I got to take my hat off to, to Janet Webb. She's a president now. She's done a fantastic job. But Sarah Sue and her group and the Old Huntersville Historic Society are going to put, put together a, a driving tour or some type of tour going down Beatty's Ford Road. And we're looking to do that, looking forward to doing that with you, Sarah Sue, this spring. Yeah. But that's kind of the 10-minute version of Dan. Um when does the old Huntersville Historic Society meet and where? We meet the first Wednesday of every month, and it's meetings are open to the public. Come and, uh, everyone's welcomed. Uh, they start at 6.30, and it's at the uh, what I call the, the old library or the Arts and Science Building in downtown uh, Huntersville. And if you don't know where that's at, it's basically right across the street from Fire Station Number 1. Do you have to live in Huntersville to be a member? Is it if you if you're in Cornelius or Davidson or Mooresville, Statesville, could you be a part of this organization? Absolutely. We had a uh, a a member from Swanee, Florida, <laughs> 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 join us, and and uh, it never made any of the meetings, but uh, he was a member at one time. Is there a membership fee? There is twenty dollars a year. Twenty twenty dollars a year. That's that's a big investment. <laughs> well, it's uh, it keeps everybody engaged. And when you sure. when you start a a group like this, not everybody knew anybody, and so we had to find a kind of find a way to break the the ice here to get get the, get this historic group sure. moving. And the key to of it was putting a map, the town of Huntersville, out here, an old map, and somebody says. Oh, we used to live over here, and then somebody would say, "Oh, you must have known my cousin." <laughs> and from there, it was the party was on. <laughs> Dan, why is history so important to you? Uh, I got to go back to my military upbringing. Is that uh, I thought everybody moved every two years. <laughs> you know, that's not true. And when we got to a a new station, a new Air Force base, uh, my mom would say, "You get your room straightened up, unpack the boxes." And I don't want to see you until the sun goes down. I want you to go out there and find out who your new neighbors are, find out what they're all about. And I think that's really helped me out in life because it's uh, if you don't know the history, you're going to make some mistakes that those people made before. But uh, And I majored in, uh, minored in history in college too. Dan, you served four terms on the Huntersville Town Board, eight years uh, on the Town Board. What are some things over the course of those eight years that you're most proud of that, that the administrations that you worked in, what, what are you most proud of? Probably three things, but I got to say it's it's the the people that I work with, uh, not only the commissioners, the people that were elected, but the town staff and and how professional they are. I think the, the proudest thing that I'm, uh, that I feel that I've accomplished is that in eight years, we never raised your taxes in the town of Huntersville. And we've got a lot going on in the town. You've probably seen some of these uh, orange and white barrels. You know, we've taken some of our town money, your taxpayer money, to put into those road projects to keep moving those along. Uh, the second thing is that uh, during COVID, uh, and I have to give a shout out to John Anarello on this, is that Huntersville was not uh, well looked upon 
because we weren't going to close down. We we didn't want to close our businesses down. You could go to Walmart and buy everything you wanted to, but if you had a mom and pop store, you had to close down. That's not quite fair. And uh, again, they, they, they wanted to close a, a, a car dealerships down. And because what, you're not, your car's not going to break down. You don't want to buy a new car. That's, you got to keep businesses open. And you said earlier about the chamber, small business is the heartbeat of Huntersville. And uh, again, I think that we, we accomplished a lot, but I think the, I really enjoyed listening to the people, finding out what was right and what was the right thing to do for not just one or two people, but the good of all the community. Dan, I said earlier you were a huge supporter of small business, and, and you were, but you also had a passion for public safety. I, I think you were on the public safety committee uh, with the town for all of those years that you served on the board, uh, working with our fire, working with our police. Why is public safety so important to Dan Boone? Well, again, uh, Santa Claus didn't come every Christmas, and that's the same way it is to these first uh, first responders. And I've always had a place in my heart for people who protected us mm -hmm. uh, growing up in that atmosphere. And trust me, the, there's several reasons why people move to Huntersville. One of them is that we have an outstanding fire department and an outstanding police department. And it's, uh, it's a good place to live, and it's because of those men and women that made it that way. Seriously, we've got about two minutes, a little bit less than that. You're an 18th century reenactor. You also are an author of a historical novel, First 12 Years of Jamestown Settlement. I didn't really know that uh, about you. Tell me about that book. Oh, I went to Jamestown uh, at the early, early, early in like 2001, discovered it for the first time, and a man was digging out there. Um, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're digging up the fort. They thought it was out in the, out in the river. It's not. And I got hooked. I followed him for the next 13 years to tell myself the story. I started writing this novel, ended up being almost a 500-page book. And in it, there are 42 artifacts that are left exactly where they found them. So I know I'm following history just really well by what he did in the archaeology. It was fun to write to tell myself the story. Now, is that book on Amazon? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also should say, because I'll get killed if I don't, if you would like to join the MHA, the, the, the website there is mechdeck.org. M-E-C-K-D-E-C.org. Mechdeck.org. We've uh, had Dan Boone on here from the old Huntersville Stork Society and a former town board member. And again, thank you for your service, Dan. Sarah Sue Hardinger, the president of Mecklenburg uh, Historical Association. Paulette Garter, the co-founder of Lincoln Hearth. I uh, want to thank you guys for being here and sharing a little bit about our past. Our past is so important. Uh, if we, you, you just have to keep that on focus if you want to know where you're going to go in the future. If it's Wednesday afternoon... We're talking about our towns on Town Talk on WSIC. We'll see you next week.